Hey, Richard. Hey, Eric. What's going on? Not much. What's going on with you? Sitting here. Sitting here? Yeah. Okay. Sitting here. Sitting up in your room? That's a Brandy song. I should make a new podcast called Sitting Here. Okay. It'll just be you just sitting there? Yeah, that's not a good idea. Well, I mean, you could do that as a video cast. Most of them are like that. Of course. I mean, what... Hi, I'm 16. Here's my video. Oh, my God. Like, so I totally went to algebra class today, and Mrs. Donovan was all like, do these problems. And I'm like, ha, no, I'm not going to do these problems because, like, whatever, math. Am I right, girls? Come on. And that's, you know, what a video cast is. Wow, that was really offensive. To Mrs. Donovan, yeah. Yeah, it was. I was really mean to her. I told her to her face that I thought her subject had no value in my life. Well, that's a good segue into one of our episodes this week. Yeah? Miri. Why? Was that algebra-based? Actually, it was algebra-based. Right? Right? Exactly. So we watched uh, two episodes this week. We watch two episodes every week. We hope that you watch them as well. Yes, because, you know, and download our episode guide for $4.95. Which we don't have yet, but we will. We could totally make an episode guide. We should make an episode guide. It could be like, you can have, like, coloring scenes in it, too, or, like, little activities, like a word search. Everyone else is making an ebook. Why don't we? Yeah. So, Miri. Yes. Did you like this episode? I liked this episode because it's basically children are horrible, the episode. Like, it tells you what's so bad about children. They're fucking creepy and horrible, and, you know, they just need to be hit. It really seemed like they went out of their way to cast the most disturbing-looking children as well. I know, like that. I I, I want to see what they look like now. Because, you know, you have to think about it. Like, they're in their 50s at this point. 40s and 50s. Maybe 60s, depending on how old they were Yeah, depending on. Because, like, the main girl was probably about 20 when she, you know, recorded or later. Actually, Uh, no. I think that she was... uh, I'm not sure exactly how old she was, but... It's really hard telling people's ages, like, from back in the day because they... You know, they, people don't look their ages. Well, know, here's but. something interesting. She was the girl in the original True Grit. Okay. Which I've never seen. Yeah, but people know about it now because of the remake that came yeah, out yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago. So I think that was in the early 60s. Okay. So I don't know. She was like 12 then. So she probably, like, yeah, she probably was actually a teenager. Yeah. Um, so 15, 16. Yeah, she seemed a little older than she's playing. And but... you got to see Captain Kirk put moves on a teenager, which was yeah. disturbing. Yeah. Um, I, I know. It's one, like, it's one part where he's like, oh, no, you're a very pretty girl. Like, that's fine. This is a traumatized young woman. And you're just being, you know, calm to her. And then he, like, totally realizes because, you know, you know, girls girls crush on older guys by default. and uh, That part is fine. Yeah. So he recognizes this and he's kind of using her to get, you know, her to do things for him. And I think my favorite part of the, the episode in, in that regard was she's leaning up against the wall and Captain Kirk comes over with like a, a piece of um, crumpled up paper. And he's like, hey, go, uh, go clean off that desk for me. Yeah. And she like lights up this smile and she's like, I'll totally do it for you, Jim. But we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. Um, yeah, I really like this episode quite a bit. I, I think that this is bar none the first Probably, I wouldn't call it a classic yeah. original series episode, but it's near perfect. And I think it sets up a lot of really cool stuff that you see later on down the line. Because this is like the first time that we've had Spock, Kirk, and McCoy like all together yeah. for the majority of an episode. It's the first episode where they beam down to a mysterious planet and they have to figure something out. You know, that hasn't really happened before. You've had people beaming down to planets, you know, in... Uh, uh, what little girls are made of yeah, yeah, yeah. or um, a couple other episodes, you know, the cage of course, where no man has gone before, but that was, that wasn't really the main thrust of the episode. 
so you kind of have the three of them trying to unravel this mystery on this planet. I mean, the interesting thing about the episode is that it's really kind of like lazily set up, right? Because they start it and they find another Earth. Yeah, that that goes nowhere. Like, that's a really fascinating concept. Like, they see this planet there, you know, dusting off all the statistics and realizing, like, that's the exact numbers on there. They see it. It sees the... You see, like, America and, like, Africa, and it's like, okay, this is an exact duplicate of Like, Earth. how the hell would this ever happen? And that's just... Nobody ever cares about that. Yeah, and I know that you have issues with a lot of that stuff because you had issues with the time travel a couple, couple yeah. episodes ago. Um, that's just kind of something that they did. I like, know. Like, it's one of those that would seem to... And, like, they found this in the far reaches of the galaxy, so you could cre- start creating an arc where they find several, like, other Earths on that, and there's always something wrong with that, and what the fuck is happening? Why are all these planets... You know, and towards the end of the series, they find out, and it's, you know, like, that's how a show nowadays would do that. Absolutely. Yeah. But they did it here because it was a cost-saving measure. Yeah, exactly. Because they had the back lot, and they wanted to use it. And they kind of did that in a lot of episodes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got the um, space gangsters in the 20s. You've got the uh, space uh, Nazis. Um <laughs> I, there's lots of other ones. I mean, they're just all over the place. So it just seems like too good of a concept to have. I want to say wasted on this because the rest of the episode has a very interesting. You know, it revolves around an interesting premise and one that has nothing to do with an alternate Earth. I mean, there could be any one of a dozen ways of introducing this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it didn't even have to be that backlot. Yeah, could have just they could have reused sets from other episodes. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not exactly sure why they set it up that way. Um, it's yeah, it's kind of bizarre, and it's kind of bizarre also because even if it was an alternate Earth, it doesn't necessarily track that an alternate Earth would have alternate humans. Yeah, like alternate Fords. Well, I think like, that, you, know, you know the whole thing is just kind of weird. Um, but, and it's I could accept an alternate Earth with alternate humans, but then tell me why, you know? Like, yeah, and they never really go into that. Yeah, so. because at that point, pretty much everyone's dead. I mean, to be fair, yes, everyone is dead. And also, they're kind of busy trying to figure out this plague that's going yeah. to kill them all. Um, you know, so so basically, as the, the, the episode's basically constructed sort of as a, as a mystery, right? Because yeah. they have to figure out what these purple splotches are on their bodies, and they have to figure out if it's going to kill them and how it's going to kill them and how to cure it. Yeah. And all the meanwhile, they've got these creepy ass children wandering around. How they're all just random children with no adults. That's a thing too. (laughs) Right. And, uh, I really like this episode because, you know, you had, you had talked uh, earlier about, um, uh, some episodes of Star Trek that perhaps didn't really live up to the sense of danger that they wanted to convey. And I really think that this one does. I mean, and not only that, they also, I feel, do a good job of explaining the time limits because, um, you know, in other episodes there was kind of a, well, something bad's going to happen if we don't solve the situation in X amount of time. And it's really irrelevant what – this, the timer is basically, okay, well, in seven days this virus is going to spread and take over and kill us. Like that's just how the pathology of this works. And that's a very – Exactly. It's a very – it doesn't feel like a slapped on time limit just for the sake of drama. Like that's one inherent to the problem itself. Right. It's the incubation period yes. of the disease and that's an understood yeah, problem. And the, and the disease is the exact thing they're trying to fight against. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that really makes the episode work is they really try, not try, they do. They sell the children as being 
creepy and kind of dangerous, well, right? This is, yeah, this is going very Lord of the Flies type of stuff. Absolutely. You have a bunch of people stuck in childhood, and they're going to go for the oldest, and he's obviously this traumatized guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's supposed to be as well about 13-ish, and, yeah. you know, every adult has gone mad and tried to kill him, so he's... He hates adults. I mean, that's what that would be. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the the big reveal later on in the episode that, you know, this happened 300 years ago. So they have been alive for 300 years and they are all much, much older than anybody on the Enterprise. Uh, But, you know, of course, they're only aging. What is it? A month for every 100 years? Something like that. So in 300 years, they've only aged basically three months in, you know, body and and, and mind, I guess. Cognitive capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really weird. I mean, I kind of I guess it makes sense. Well, it depends. Because we're I so, mean, that was one of the pro- that was one of the like intellectual problems I had with understanding it. Because I like on an intellectual level, I can understand that, but like on a experiential level, I'm just like, well, even if you were alive for a hundred years, you would get smarter. But, but I guess wouldn't you wouldn't because, because your brain would still be. I mean, there's only so much you can teach a kid. I mean, there's these neural connections haven't formed, so what this virus would do would assumingly greatly inhibit the process of forming neural connections through, you know, which is how basically the brain develops over time. You know, you, you forge these pathways and you prune, you know, the neural pathways and all of that. Um, so that's happening at a, the rate of one month's worth every hundred years, you know, so they go through the same brain development that you go through any three months when you're, you know, when you're 10, Yeah, which is some, yeah, certainly, but not, enough to be significant or get you out of that mindset yeah and i also that's a good point and i also think there's there's also another thing going on is is that you know the older children of course are starting to enter puberty very very slowly Mm -hmm. um so they've got these hormones coursing through their body and the whole thing about that of course is that you know when you're in puberty your, your your brain is still developing but your hormones are there and it's sort of like you've got this childish mind but you've got you know sort of these urges you don't understand and that's of course the underpinnings of the whole miri kirk relationship yeah. that develops where Miri has a crush on him and Kirk it's her realized, crush right. basically <laughs> who else is she going to have a crush on because I mean know. the handsome again the handsome starship captain who comes to earth is basically the thing that every single you know girl that age would crush or, on, you or, know? The, or the 13 year old Ernest Borgnine yeah. <laughs> you know not I mean I you know I shouldn't be like rude to him but he's like 60. how dare that 13 year old be ugly he's he's either 60 or dead now yeah. so it doesn't really matter yeah like he died like a year after that episode was filmed he may have like, i have no idea heroin overdosed or something like that speaking of addicts by the way the um red shirt the two red shirts one of them is obviously a drunk that they just pulled off the studio slot yeah. that day like he's just has this older guy in an ill-fitting suit and a very round shiny face and he's just kind of has this really dopey grin on his face the entire time. Like I, I, I was, I, I, I noticed that. Yeah, and the other red shirt is obviously just fucking the director. But I was kind of just imagining that you know he doesn't really get off the ship very much. <laughs> he's older. He's past his prime. He doesn't really expect to get a whole lot of action anymore. And so, you know, let's say four of the other security guards call out sick because they all got drunk the night before and, Mm. you know, had a poker party. And they just, you know, weren't up to the task of going to duty that day. So Mm. he got to go and he was just really excited about it. Yeah. And then he gets caught on a planet for four days while they try and discover a cure to a deadly virus. It's all going to kill them in five days. Hey. 
So you know, he, he was just one week away from retirement. But he lived. Yeah. And in the very next episode, he's wearing one of the gold shirts. Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice Same that. Same actor. Wow. Yeah. So he got promoted. You're much more observant I about know. certain things than I thought you would be. I know shiny face drunks when I see him. Apparently you do. Um. Yeah. The, the red shirts are not very good at their job because... So they get onto this planet and they're like, okay, we'll split up and... Uh, this dude basically starts attacking Bones, and, you know, they, they, they're they pulling him off them. And it's the core group. It's Bones, it's Spock, it's uh, Kirk, it's Yeoman Ran. The red shirts are nowhere to be found during this entire thing. They have the fight. They have a conversation with the guy. The guy dies. They talk about the, the guy being dead. They all stand up. They call the guards over, and the guards immediately rush by. So they were in earshot the entire time. Oh, sure. Just... What the fuck were they doing during this? Like, you would think, like, okay, the captain's being attacked by a dude. This is my entire job. My job is to hold this gun and make sure no one attacks the captain. Yeah, no, there's no explanation for that. They're just really bad at their job. (laughs) I mean, you know, the the security guards of Red Shirts in the original series are more sort of, I think, just, like, afterthoughts than anything else. I mean, they're really there to be killed. Yeah. And in this episode, they serve absolutely no purpose because both of them actually make it through the episode alive— which is rare. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, the scene wouldn't work if uh, uh, Yeoman Rand didn't come running, uh, right? She came to the rescue, or was it Miri? I don't remember. Uh, they meet Miri just, like, right afterwards, so yeah. it was Yeoman Rand. But that, you know, we just talk about that scene for a minute, because that's a pretty, like... It's it's a bad scene, but it's also really, really good. Do you know what I mean? Uh, not. I mean, I know what you mean, but I'm not sure if it within the context of the scene. Well, because it goes on a little bit too long. It's sort of like the. It's sort of like the penultimate, you know, uh, episode. No, it's sort of like the penultimate scene to the episode where Kirk goes in, and you know, the children have stolen their communicators, and they need to contact the ship to find to send another computer down to find out if the um, vaccine that Doctor McCoy has worked on is going to work. Bye. And. So it's creepy because he's being surrounded by children who obviously want to hurt him. And there's this one tiny girl just staring at them the entire time. Right. But at the same time, it goes on a little bit too long because we all know that the children are going to rush him and beat him. And they, they yeah. do. But it takes a little too long. He kind of repeats the same speech like three times. Yeah. And basically, like, it just sounds like hearing someone who has it sounds like a substitute teacher who has no control over the classroom yelling at the students. Well, I think that was part of the uh, I mean, the, the scene takes place in a classroom and they're. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the game they're playing is actually teacher and they're pretending, you know, to like and they're making fun of teachers and stuff like that. So it's like. You know, obviously that's, you know, what they're going for. But yeah, like it's, I see Kirk, I see a bunch of kids who want to kill him. I want to see Kirk beaten up by five-year-olds. Like, that's what I want. That did, that would give me this. I need to be seeing this. And it was wonderful when it happened. Well, you got to see it. I, I know. It's just like, I mean, I guess it's like stripping. It's like, you know, you have to wait for like, it's not the actual taking the clothes off. That's the interesting thing. It's just the slow thing. Right. So this was a beating up Kirk tease. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, and, you know, like you said, I mean, that the, the girl who's sitting there and the whole time while every other child is, is, is beating on Kirk, she's just kind of sitting there with this creepy smile on her face. Yeah. And it's like, is she going to do something? What is she? What, what's going yeah. on with her? Yeah. I figure she... like she's just like this, like the youngest and, you know. Right. She's just kind of enjoying this because this is what her life is. Well, know? I mean, if you were uh, stranded on a planet for 300 years with nothing to do, I guess this would be entertaining. Yeah, how are the kids not completely bored by this point? Because, you know, kids can't last like five minutes without like... 
I think that they, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yes, I, obviously they all went insane. But Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's what I was about to say. I mean, there's sort of this like understated implication that they've all gone insane to some degree. I mean, 300 years with children and no adults. Oh, yeah. And and I mean, they're uh, how do they they're eat? dirty. Oh, and they're, they're, yeah. I mean, they mentioned that the food is about to run out. Yeah, there was a throwaway line. Spock said something about the food was about to run out. In six months. So they managed to have enough supplies for three years, except 300, 300 years and six months. And the last six months just happens to be when they're, you know, they get there. Like, yeah, that's a little too convenient, right? Yeah. But on the whole, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. I liked the episode. Yeah. I didn't like that. Apparently, Ahura and, uh, what was his name? Um, Sulu were on vacation that week because. Replacing them is the creepiest guy ever. You saw him, right? With, like, this horrible nose and these staring eyes and just this mouth with, like, this rictus grin on it. And he's the one that they're trusting to give him the calculations. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't trust him to I, give, give me, like, chicken nuggets. I so. would love some chicken nuggets right We'll get now. some chicken nuggets. All right, cool. Um, the other thing I guess we should mention, too, about the episode, of course, is that it's got some great scenes uh, of the, the, you know, like them kind of chewing the scenery and like because the disease makes you go mad yes and so they're, all, they're all getting like upset with each other and yelling and, and yeoman rand has this really creepy scene where she's like i always wanted you to look at my legs captain kirk <laughs> look at my legs <laughs> and of course it has all these you know sores on it it has that blue purple you know disease on it yeah yeah it's really bizarre mm. we get to see Crum- uh, uh, grumpy dr mccoy which is always great to see uh, Spock, who apparently is like Richard and that he does not like children because he called them mice at one point. Yes, I, I love Spock. Which is fairly accurate, I, I guess. Spock has a really interesting moment here at one point uh, because I, I now I'm trying to, you know, notice the points when Spock does show emotion. Um, there's one part where he's talking to um, to Kirk and, you know, they're saying, well, you know, you don't have, you know, since you're half Vulcan, you know, this is virus. It's not attacking you at all. And he says... Yes, but I'm still a car- a carrier for this. Uh, I can't go back to the ship. And he just looks at her and says, and I really do want to go back to the ship. And he just says this with this, like, it's just this tiniest note of, like, a little bit scared, a little bit sad, and just kind of, like, he's just, you know, that's just, he just does not want to do this. See, that's interesting. And it's just this tiny moment, but, like, he certainly has it under control, but he lets that much slip. Like, he shows just, you know, he shows Kirk... I feel really vulnerable about this. Right See, now. that's interesting to me. I, I didn't. I, I, I remember exactly the line that you're yeah. talking about because it left an impression on me as well. Even though I didn't bring it up, I was saving it for you. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't get that read from it. I mean, I guess I can see how you could. I, what I just, did read? Did you get? I just sort of took it as I've got a lot of shit to do back at the ship, and I just want to get back. That's how I kind of took it. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of coming around to your. You know, your, your reading of that line. I Because I think that, you know, at this point, even, you know, le, le, I don't know. Are we allowed to fast forward to the Wrath of Khan? Because that's one of the few things I know. If you've never seen Wrath of Khan, number one, shame on you. Number two, fast forward about five minutes. Okay. Um, because at the very end of the movie, he basically says, you know, I, I, I you know, th- th- this thing needs to be done or everybody I know is going to die. And yeah, this will kill me. But, you know, 
I can be the I can be sacrificed because I don't want these people getting hurt, you know. And he does that. This is that same character. This is the character who would grow to be that. The greatest good for the greatest number, yeah. I don't think he's the kind of person who would say, "Well, I want to get back to the ship just to do my own stuff while, you know, people I care about are dying of this disease." Like, yeah. if, you know, if if it was, you know, I want to go back to the ship because the computer's there and we can more easily do that, but I don't think that's as far as the reading takes. I mean, he realizes that you know, he he. If they can't solve this, he is stuck on this planet the entire time. Yeah, and he can't know? go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, he, he would in effect become the, the the authority figure for those children. Yeah, once all of his friends have died, which to be fair is a very inconvenient thing for him to do too. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that would be actually a great spinoff. You know, they cure everybody but Spock, and Spock has to stay there. You know, just take care of these kids the entire time. You know, we yeah, it would be like a welcome back, Mister Cotter type <laughs> thing. Except it would just be welcome, I suppose. <laughs> welcome, Mister Spock. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's you know, and even even if Spock said that only because he wanted to get back to the ship because the computer there and he could do his work better. I mean, that kind of even says something about how he feels about these people. Yeah. And we already know that, that um, from previous uh, episodes, specifically the naked time that Spock feels that he is friends with Kirk specifically yeah. calls him Jim, all these kind of things. So definitely there is an undercurrent of that to this whole affair. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the other thing you have to remember as well is that he is half human. So he's yeah. got more of these issues than other Vulcans would. And yes. I think you'll see other Vulcans throughout the course of the series who, yeah, who, they haven't... who don't really have these issues because they're not half human. So. Yeah, I, I, I always got the sense that because of that half human is why Spock is able to forge such a strong connection to Kirk. Yeah. Because they have yeah. that, you know, that species connection almost. Right, right. And, the, um, and of course, the idea, of course, is that, um, you know, he, he never really fully embraced his human side. You know, he, he it wasn't raised on Earth. So uh, he's, he's kind of living up to ideals which perhaps he, he can't yeah uh fully which i think is an interesting counterpoint now that i think about it um not to jump forward too much to to um wharf in the next generation because he's an, he's a total opposite he's a full-blooded klingon who was raised on earth yeah and he's always kind of like overcompensating for that by being like the manliest klingon ever <laughs> you know um killing people with his bare hands and yeah, whatnot. yeah yeah I thought a couple of things were interesting. Number one, why do they leave their communicators on the table where they can be stolen when there's an emergency? You wouldn't think one of them would decide to take it. Well, I always I, – I mean I just kind of assumed that that, that was sort of like one of the uh, lack of judgment sort of madness, the, the disease kind of Fair enough. starting to take over. But I thought what was interesting is – so I mean – so it's one of the running jokes that, you know, on sitcoms like, you know, oh, well, you know, if we had cell phones, this wouldn't be a problem, you know. And so another, you know, they have to manufacture, you know, crises like this and this communicator thing just as post cell phone sitcoms have had to change certain plots. Like if you need to have a non-communication plot, you give a reason. But I drop my cell phone in the toilet. Yeah. Or, or you know, battery's dead or, you know, we're deep in the wood, whatever. Um you have to make some kind of, you know, excuse for that. So, But the reason that the communicators are such a problem is because the computers are on the ship and they can't do the calculations for the vaccine properly. I just think it's really interesting that um, the, 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 this is one of those where technology has already marched on because 
I can very easily picture a starship having beamable down computers. You know, it would have they'd have an iPad basically that could do all this. Well, I mean, take it a step further. Yeah. Smartphones. I was going to say that their communicators, number one, would their have commu- all this stuff on it already. Right. Their communicator would, in effect, be a computer. Yeah. I mean, our our communicators, quote unquote, are already computers. Yeah, exactly. We so, may not be able to do the exact calculations that they could on that. But, you know, again, ext- we can now extrapolate that it would have that, ki- you know, that <laughs> kind of. I mean, I know. It was, <laughs> well, the pro- of course, the problem was that on this alternate Earth, yeah. there was no cell phone service, so they could not get a 3G connection. The app store was not connectable, and he just could not download the vaccine calculator app. Okay, so basically, this is, the world got destroyed because everyone was on an Android system. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Fucking Android. That's what happened. The other thing I think is interesting about this episode that doesn't ever really get uh, talked about explicitly, but I think is one of the subtext of the episode. Um, and this is something that I think Star Trek does a lot with sort of subverting your expectations. The big reveal of the episode is that they, the, the people that were on this planet, that is not, you know, they as in Kirk and Spock yeah, and yeah, whatnot, yeah. Uh, developed this uh, 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 disease as a um, biological agent to try and extend their life. Yeah. And so there's this idea, of course, the subtext being that kind of trying to live a long time and, and sort of the idea that like the fountain of youth, quote unquote, is kind of a curse. Like you you, you don't want it. You, you couldn't have it. And kind of like just throws that on its head. Right. Like you don't want a lot of this stuff that people think they want. You know, you, yeah. don't, you don't really want the fountain of youth because it's going to cause shit like this to happen. And you can't there's unintended consequences to everything. And when you try and mess with uh, fate like that you know to use kind of like quote-unquote language yeah yeah it becomes a problem but then that's again going on one of the themes of the series you know this is how they wanted to create world in their own image and it you know got fucked up again every pretty much every episode has been i have this little isolated world and i have my vision for how i want the world to be and i've managed to use through technology through magic powers through science however to create this world and it ends up turning to the worst thing ever that's that this is another example of that really you have a group of people who decide well this whole dying thing or this growing old thing is not the way i envisioned the world so you know we're going to use again science you know technology genetic modifications diseases to do that and you know it, it goes wrong of course yeah, yeah yeah it reminds me of a survive one of those 2000 survival horror games like this is pretty much how they all were you get onto a place and it's all destroyed and you meet a couple of characters who you have some dialogue with and then you know things attack you in the ruins and it's like i i don't know it's weird to see that it's nice to see that plot just through different in different mediums i guess yeah yeah well, I think that's a good way to end the the, the uh, discussion of Miri. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess we should rate the episode. I would give the six tribbles. Six. Yeah. I'll give it. I'll because give I it. thought Miri was sixy. Oh. I think I have to leave now and perhaps call the police. Okay. Um, I think I'll I'm just a- trying to be like Captain Kirk. Oh, yeah. I, the, the less we talk about that, the better. It's very, very. But she's a very pretty girl. Very pretty girl, take my hand and walk. And just the look they all give him when he's walking out, they're like, God damn it, Kirk, you find the one woman and you have to fuck her, she's 12. Yeah. Well, we'll get we'll get into that a little more in the next episode. Uh, I guess I'll give it seven. <clears throat> I liked it a little more than you, I think. Okay. So, and I, I don't want to give it like a 10 because it's obviously not a 10. I mean, no. that's crazy talk. No way this episode is a 10. Unlike Mary. 
Oh, yeah. Well, no, no, no. She's a nine. She'll be a ten in a few years. Let she'll, life beat her down a bit, you know? She'll, she be, need... she'll be ten in a few years? Yes. No, she'll be ten in about a million years. Oh. No, she's 13. Well, we... we 1,300 we, years. We could talk about this all day. Yeah. So uh, let's move on then to Dagger of the Mind. Okay, let's do this. Uh, what did you think about this episode, Richard? Um, I found it kind of unfocused. Yes. I liked it, but I had no idea what the fuck was going on in it. Like, it was just... It was creepy. It was weird. It was... I wish it, someone would say that about this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it, but I had no idea what was going on. That's that's kind of how you gotta go. I don't know. I I, I, I like how at the... Okay, so so I was just cracking up during the entire, like, first pre credit scene. Because, number one, so they're giving these medical supplies to this penal colony. Right. And apparently this, now the Enterprise is just a supply ship. Okay. So they put this gigantic pill bottle. Like, it's literally a six-foot-tall pill bottle. See, I, I actually really liked that because it was a cool, like, little set design attention to detail thing because it was exactly the right size to yeah. fit on the transporter pad. And I was like, that's really cool. And then they destroyed it by beaming up this huge box that was like the size of like a fucking piano or something. <laughs> I was just like, well, that's dumb. And I have to say, so is is penology a thing? Penology? Because they're, they're, they're saying, we have to send you some records. Give that to the Bureau of Penology. Did they and really... on the box is emblazoned in big black letters, Bureau of Penology. Do not open. Wait, what did you say? Emblazoned? Emblazoned. Isn't it emblazoned? I don't know. Okay. The point is, it says Bureau of Penology. Is did, that a thing? Because I would be really good as a penologist. I don't know. I could study peen all day long. <laughs> and, and then, of course, and then of course, it, it's not actually records. You know, the second that everybody leaves, the box opens, and it's a shifty guy with crazy hair. Like, how did that? Is it that easy to escape from the high security prison planet for the criminally insane? Apparently, like, it is. You would just go in the box, set, type, you know, to Earth. You know, I'm not a crazy guy. I'm papers, and no one notices. Like, well, I mean, to to be doesn't just the transporter don't they have to make like allowances for whether it's a person or a thing? I mean, don't they? No, they don't. They don't. No, it doesn't work like that. It's like whatever you beam up is fine. It's not like they're giving it less power because it's a uh, you know a, a box as opposed to a. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't know if the molecules needed a rear. I don't know. No, no. It just takes the pattern of whatever it's beaming up and. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. The point is you have a guy with Einstein hair. Well, here, well, no, but I want to go into this because, like, you know, of course you could say that, yes, it's crazy that, you know, this would happen. But uh, to the episode, I'm going to defend the devil's advocate can defend yeah. the episode a little bit. You know, later on, you find out that the crazy shifty haired guy is shifty haired a thing, because if it's not, I think we should try and make it a thing. I, I, I did make it a thing, which is why I shave my head now. Ah, OK. It, it, you know, Don't you remember when I had long hair? I do. Yeah. I do, unfortunately. That was shifty-haired. Yeah. Uh, he was a doctor, and he was uh, Dr. Whatever's Adams, was it? A Dr. Adams' yeah. assistant. So he but would probably know how to get out. At the same time, this is also somebody that they have... Uh, he's basically been tortured and, you know, uh, brain-wiped and all of that, so... No matter how focused in term, you would think that this is somebody that Adams would have an eye on. 
Right, but I think one of the one of the takeaways from this episode is that Adams is a bit yeah, full of himself, Cray-cray. shall we say? <laughs> so he perhaps doesn't think that anybody, especially not someone who he had brainwiped, could get one over on him. Fair enough. I I don't like this episode nearly as much as Miri. Um like you said, it is unfocused. It, it probably could have used a couple of rewrites. I couldn't tell what he was doing at the end. At the end, he's mentally controlling people, and that's kind as, of as far as they took it. As far as I understand it, so there's a penal colony. Adams is a, uh, a galaxy-renowned penologist, <laughs> to use the correct terminology, as evidenced by Star Trek. <laughs> You know, who has uh, developed all these, you know, things. he's kind of like a, a, a Jeremy Bentham for uh, the 23rd century. Or what's his name? Is that the guy who did the pen, Panopticon and, you know, all that kind of stuff? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, this but is a, a, he's, he's, a, a, he's, a 17th or 18th century um, uh, thinker and philosopher. I know. I've seen Lost. Who uh, designed the Panopticon, which was supposed yeah, to be yeah. this, like, you know, humane. Panopticon, I'm feeling. Yeah, humane prison. Uh, yeah, and basically they've, you know, they say throughout the episode, you know, he's the treatment of the mentally insane and, you know, the community insane has just through his, you know, tenure has just in the past 20 years has changed considerably. And, you know, Kirk Kirk and McCoy have this sort of like argument on the bridge a little bit about, you know, McCoy doesn't really get it. And Kirk is like, no, this guy's really great. Like he's going to be fine. We're going to really, you know, and and McCoy's like, yeah, I don't know. This seems weird to me. I I don't know about this. I like it because I like their, they have this discussion at one point. So they're, uh, they have this crazy guy, and McCoy's meeting with him, and you know he something's off. He, this is not just a guy who's crazy. You know he's there's something wrong with him, and he's telling you know Kirk, you know we can't just send him back. Like I want just I want more time with him. So uh, you know Kirk is talking to the head doctor at this yeah, at at the prison, and who is just like, oh yeah, anything you want, you know, just you come down, investigate, totally, you know, I just want him to be safe, you know, and all of that, so, um, you know, but Bones is insisting, like, no, I need time with this guy, just stall him, just do that, you know, and Kirk disagrees, but Bones kind of just manipulates him into, because he basically says, like, well, I would have to put it in my report that I didn't, you know, didn't recommend he we give that to him and you know you're gonna have to answer why you ignored you know my report like he's basically saying i will go over your head on this one and kirk just kind of gives him a well well played look to that i liked that yeah that it, it makes it clear number one that kirk recognizes that bones is only doing this because he feels with the fullest extent of his convictions you know about this he wouldn't do this lightly and so out of respect he kind of figures out a way to stall Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. And it really does show, again, sort of the respect that they have for each other, uh, even at this early stage. Yeah. And then they kind of just um, – it, it's funny because then they have this little back and forth where he's like, well, yeah, well, you're going to have to give me someone from your team then, you know. And he's like, okay, here's a woman you did it with. This isn't yeah. going to be awkward at all. <laughs> that's a total dick move. That is totally yeah, something I, that you would do to the guy at the office who was just kind of like, yeah, okay, kind of a practical joke on you. Yeah, I loved that. Like, you can see, like, again, when Kirk Caesar is like, shit. Because he doesn't even remember this woman, by the way. Like, he... <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing about that is, of course, is that, you know, it is, it is the mid-60s. So uh, the implication later on when... Um, Kirk is testing out the brain white machine down at the planet. 
it, you know, she says something about like, instead of just dancing at the Christmas party, you took me back to my quarters. Yeah. And it's just this, and he has this long romantic speech and all of this. And, and it's like, like I'm yeah. sorry. That, that scene on the transporter pad when Kirk sees her, what's her name? Helen. Yeah. When Kirk sees Helen, uh, that was a total like shit walk of shame like I yeah totally, like, had sex and you know like a dude i hooked up with freshman year of college came into my store the other day and i'm like look at you yeah. i don't want to see because i'm not a starship captain anymore like i can't <laughs> yeah yeah uh but again so they go down to the planet kirk again lets the crazy guy talk him into going down to a planet basically alone <laughs> with no way to communicate with a woman who is wearing a dr- uh, with the doctor who is wearing a dress that's you know probably about two inches from her parts why does kirk keep letting crazy dudes talk him into beaming down to planets basically alone with basically no way to communicate to the ship i don't get this well this crazy dude was really nice okay <laughs> So was Roger Corby, but we saw how that ended. Uh, yeah. Was Adams an android? Uh, I, I. <laughs> so let's. I, I do want to say one thing, though, about this. I noticed um, before we get in, into the episode a little further, <laughs> there's this, well, you know, the very early part of the episode where you, you start to think that the episode is going to be about the crazy guy on the ship. And yeah. You need to find him, which, again, to Star Trek's credit, I really like. That's what I thought it would be. This is something the show does a lot. They, like, fake you out. You think, oh, this is going to be an episode about how they have to find this crazy guy on the ship because, of course, the man trap, which was just a few episodes ago, was all about how they couldn't find this creepy alien on the ship. But no, that's not the episode yeah. about it at all. They find him in, like, the first ten minutes. And then when they're talking to him, like, and he's, like, the, uh, um... The episode description on Netflix something said something like, you know, the Enterprise is under – Kirk is under the thrall of a mad doctor or something. Yeah. So I figure, okay, well, he goes on the ship and he basically convinces everybody and, like, he's actually not crazy, but he's a psychiatrist and he uses everyone's neuroses against – or something like that. But No, again, it wasn't Not like at, at all. all. Yeah. He turns out to be the good guy and, you know, the one who's warning everybody and, uh, you know – yeah. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, very early, on, very early on in the episode when the colony contacts the Enterprise and lets them know that someone is missing and they're like, oh, shit, you know, we have to get a security alert and we have to find this guy. Uh, he comes to the bridge. Van, what's his name? Van Gelder. Van Gelder. Yes. By the way, knocks out the security guard whose back is to the door. Well, that is my point. That is my point, <laughs> right? Like, not only is the security guard's back to the door, but the captain's chair is situated in such a way that he cannot see who is coming onto the bridge. So there's a security alert and he hears the turbo lift doors open. And I swear to God, Captain Kirk whirls around worriedly. And it turns out to be the guy who's the intruder on the ship. Who, who, Let's des- put this who out. designed this? Let's even put this further. There's a straight shot from the elevator to the captain's chair. Someone who knows that and is... You know, a suicide assassin could just go in immediately shoot, even though, you know, even if he gets captured, he's completed his goal of killing the starship captain. Yeah, exactly. It's totally weird. Yeah. Like they fixed They've the, never seen The Godfather. No. Well they it's funny, they I don't know if this was something that I, I I'd have to, you know, find out like something about the uh uh, uh the, the set designer or something for the next generation because it's totally not like that in the next generation but they have i think there's like one turbo lift that the captain can see on the bridge of the enterprise d yeah and then there's another turbo lift uh i think on the other side 
where the captain can't see it, but it's up a ramp with um, like a railing around it. So there's no like clear line of sight to the captain's chair. And also you've got Worf standing there. So you don't want to mess with that. I don't know who designed the bridge of the enterprise that just struck me. And it's the first time I've ever noticed that. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. Huh. Again, one of the issues with this is first, it seemed like it was going to go into on in a way ethics of lobotomy type of question, because there is this device called the what is it? The neural, the neural neutralizer, neural neutralizer, which isn't a scary name at all, by the way. Well, basically what this machine does as 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 Doctor Adams explains, yeah, them, as, uh, they, as they discover uh, when they're uh, when when Helen is at the controls and Kirk is is yeah, it's a hypnosis machine. It. Yeah, it will. I don't know if it's a hypnosis machine because they did say at one point that it erases memories, so it like sort of erases a memory. You can also implant urges into yeah. You know, so it, it's that, it it's seems kind of, almost like they put someone under a very strong state of hypnotic suggestion, like it works yeah. on TV where whatever I say is. So I mean, I I don't think it erases memories per se as it does you know allow you know somebody who's operating the machine could say okay you don't remember being a criminal or whatever that's, that's kind of the implication of which I, I thought it would be because let's talk babylon 5 for a second babylon 5 has what they call the death of personality and again if this. you haven't seen babylon 5 you're wrong <laughs> you need to you're wrong and skip forward five minutes uh there, which the concept is that somebody who has created these you know, who has committed the worst of crimes, basically the psychic organization erases the memory and implants a completely new personality over that. And usually it's a menial labor type of thing. And that's just kind of, they live out their life. They're allowed to be useful to society, but who they were. And he explicitly says at one point, you know, what's the sense of, you know, in the Star Trek episode, what's the sense of giving them these memories, you know, of the guilt when they've been rehabilitated, they're new people already. And, I thought it would be more interesting to go into that ethics because Babylon 5 does go into what's yeah, the moral implications of that. They show, you know, in a way, this guy who is the crazy guy on the ship is kind of the result of a botched lobotomy or absolutely yeah that's he's an analog of that and yeah they never really go into that that much i mean and there's also it's implied at the end that he's cured you know yeah through uh you know that this was a i don't want to say temporary uh arrangement but it's one that can be reversed or can be treated well maybe they had the guy who rigged up the um candy button to the um self-destruct button yeah rig up a reverse button on the machine that would be very handy yeah we'll just kind of we'll retcon that in our brains yeah. and, and they had the I, what i didn't get was that at the end the doctor get, accidentally gets onto the machine uh through events that are you know too convoluted to explain and he dies of this and they said well there was nobody it, 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 the, the machine just took blank, you know, took everything away from him, and you know, he, yeah, that, he that was a sort torturer. Of... It almost seems like you know, then the machine just makes you so blank that you shut down, and you know, the operator is filling it with that. There's some kind of connection between the two of them. Yeah, but now let's talk connection between two people because I think this is probably the most significant scene: the mind melt. Yes. Okay. And this is a great opportunity. The very first time that yes, this, this happens yeah, in the that, series. Yeah, that's a good – yeah, not yeah. the very first time it happens in the series, the very first time this happens in Star Trek. And this is obviously a really important – One of the most erotic scenes in the series so far because that was really hot the way that he's saying, you know, we're moving as one. We are the same person, you know, and all of that. And just the look of bliss on calm on both of their faces. Like that was a very oddly sexy scene. But they didn't make this. I I thought that there could be a more of a connection between the mind meld and this machine because they kind of 
do similar things except one is for, you know, good and one is for evil. One is voluntarily went through. Yeah, yeah. But... That's interesting. I didn't think about that. I mean, you know, the the mind melt, of course, uh, has this long and storied history in Star Trek. And, yeah, it's basically just a way for a Vulcan to link minds with someone to sort of like read their thoughts and get yeah. some things out that perhaps they, they don't remember or they're you yeah. know, in a coma or whatever it is. Well, so in that sense, it's not that similar to the machine, I guess, because the machine is sort of, it's not really, I don't think it's really supposed, you're not really supposed to take the machine as having some sort of link between the operator no, no, and the no, person no. in the chair, it's I a- think. But in the t- in the sense of yes, the mind meld is just so that we can we can share our minds, and it is a two way thing. If I'm remembering correctly, yeah. it, the machine is very much one way, and basically the machine is 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 giving is allowing for the operator to to put memories and urges and thoughts into the person's head, where the mind meld totally you know can't do that although it puts someone else's memories into your head at least in the sense of that he would have access to spock's memories if spock allowed that correct so i mean i i I don't think it was insignificant that spock stops the mind meld around the time that the guy's saying you know well you know he put these thoughts into my head and i was attached to the machine part of it is he's gotten what he wanted but i almost got the sense of spock realizing like uh this is the first time this is done on a human you know if I do this on another Vulcan, we culturally understand exactly what's going on here. We've, con- you know, I-, I almost wondered if there was a tiny, you know, a tiny bit of that might have been. Well, this isn't exactly kosher what I'm doing right now. Yeah, the, this is really. I don't know that I should be doing this. Yeah, I don't know if this is appropriate. Yeah, like I've gotten what I wanted. I'm pulling out now. And I mean, also to be fair, I mean, uh, uh, Doctor Van Gelder. Yeah, these names are so weird. <laughs> uh, is not probably in the best state of mind to, no. to give strong consent so no they've really yeah and i think every everybody including the part of van gelder that you know is still coherent realizing like this is not ideal but this is the best way we have right yeah yeah but, um but again like i said the whole thing is there seemed to be no real motivation for uh uh, what's his name adams to do anything of what he did uh, i mean he doesn't seem to be enjoying a Life of bountiful power. He's just directing a penal colony at a remote part of the galaxy. I, I, I guess that you could sort of extrapolate out what he's doing and what's told about him in the episode where his ideas about penology yeah, have revolutionized the field and all the prisons in the entire Federation are changed to his you know philosophies and thoughts and, 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 and theories. And so yeah, and you have maybe, a lot of people who it's working on. Like, right. And so he's done that and he's like really at the top of his game, but he's living underground on a rock and maybe this is the next thing that he really wants to try and do. Okay. You know, he, he, he this is his next step. Like this whole, all of the past 20 years of his career was essentially a way of getting people to, you know, a, 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 a an inexhaustible supply of of test subjects basically and now he'll go and take over the world yeah yeah i think that could be it exactly okay. you know and maybe he knew that this wasn't going to work out but he he wanted to try it and again i mean right like this is something that uh we talked about last week where star trek is very explicitly saying that power is kind yeah. of bad and, yeah. and and power makes you go crazy and when you're when you uh have your own little fiefdom uh outside of of the larger society's control or influence 
you kind of going crazy. Yeah. And that's another kind of data point for you on that. Okay. I'm happy to have supported my thesis. Yeah. Unfortunately, there were no Sulu scenes. I was about to say there's no Sulu in either one of these episodes this week. So you can't continue your quixotic attempt to convince me that Sulu is gay. The other thing that we (laughs) should mention about this episode, just because we talked about it, I think every episode so far, again, we have a woman who is well-educated at the top of her game, at the top of her profession, probably, who is acting like a flighty schoolgirl. Yeah. Like, why would she be telling them to call her Helen, for example? But I mean, she obviously has a total, you know, crush on Adam's, like, sight unseen. Like, partially because of how... I, I, I mean, it's not uncommon to want, you know, somebody who is at the top of your the, of your field to, you know... You know, develop a, a, an infatuation with. I, mean, I guess, but I mean, she. But told, she's she, a little more than. And one she would told think. Kirk to call her Helen That's, too. I mean, the whole thing. Well, it's she's like, in love with Kirk. She's she's a woman who has advanced degrees in psychology. Yeah, they don't just go call me Helen. No, of course that. Uh, um, um, unless they're being friendly, and this is a military. This isn't a friendly type of environment. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see why she would say to Adams, you know, oh, call me Helen. We're colleagues, you know, but. Maybe. Captain Kirk is still her captain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little weird. And I think And know, the thing we, and also when she has the so she's she's operating the machine and you know he says, you know, give me an, you know, just some kind of suggestion and you know she says, "Oh, you're hungry right now." And you know then he develops hunger. So he said, "No, give me something more elaborate, you know." And she de- yeah, and then what does she do? This romantic fantasy of him and you know make him believe that they had this wonderful romantic night when they just kind of had a dance together. But again, there's this weird idea that, uh, you know, women on the show are all, they're capable of being professional until they start having womanly feelings about a man. And then they start going crazy and doing stupid things. Well, that, that was, was, it's interesting because a lot of the model for uh, a woman's career was, wasn't it just you, you get your job, you're a secretary or whatever. And that's, you know, it's going to pay the bills, and that's, you know, you're going to be independent, and you're going to do that, you know, and then you get married. Absolutely. You know, it's just something that's in between, you know, living at your parents and getting married is you have your little career. Right. And, um, you know, the whole, mad, you know, Mad Men is a ex- direct example of what that attitude is. Yeah, you become a secretary somewhere. Yeah. Until you marry a, even a, if you a, get a vice to president. A, yeah, even if you get to a high position such as office manager, for example, you're just doing that to... You know, because you you excelled, but you know we're going to lose you when that when you finally happen. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just I think it gives it was just a it was less a sense of independence and more letting you make a better choice and you know not having to pick the first one. Um. Anyway, the point is that's still going on. To, that's still the attitude here because it allows women to. Be as intelligent, as competent, as capable as men. You know, Nurse Chapel was a, you know, fam- an acclaimed researcher. Uh, Doctor Noel is a, you know, has multiple degrees and is. And a- come on, her name is Doctor Noel, and Kirk and her met at the Christmas party. Oh God, I didn't even pick up on that because that was I horrible. Literally groaned <laughs> like out loud. Oh God, I, I know. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about that line. I was like, "Whoa, okay." But anyway, yeah. Um, by the way, I I would love to go to an Enterprise Christmas party. 
be amazing. Oh it? God! And we we have talked about how the space booze is much stronger, their alcohol technology and all that. But um, okay. Uh, uh, uh yeah. Anyway, even though the, these women have these professional accomplishments, they're still doing that till they find a man. It's yeah, just the accomplishments yeah. are a little more elaborate than just simple secretary. Yeah, and I mean, again, we 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 can expect Star Trek to. Uh, at least transcend its time a little bit or its society a little bit, yeah. but it is still a product of its time. Of course. So you are going to see these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think eventually we will stop talking about it. Good. Or maybe we won't. I don't know. <laughs> I keep bringing it up because I still think it's interesting. Well, that's good. And that's what they came here for. If, if you they, don't, if they wanted us to just be talking, well, I liked how in the, in episode 135 B, the schematics for the phaser was used for model three instead of model five. Now, Model 5, interestingly enough, was developed before Model 2, which was developed before Model 3, but that's just getting ahead of myself. So Model 2 has the trigger guard. You don't want to get ahead of yourself. Yeah, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. All right, well, how many triples would you give this episode? I would give this a six triple, a five triple. A five triple? Because I liked it a lot while I was watching it. Thinking back, what was the point of that? It's it's an enjoyable episode to watch. Yeah, I, what's the point of it? But I think even the what the point of it episodes are getting better. That's true. So I think I would probably give it a five as well. Okay. Let's get, it was just kind of a... Yeah, I, I, I didn't see the point of the episode. It, Our, just, it didn't mean anything to me. It was just kind of like, a, okay, well, that happened. The show's batting average is going up. That's good. So we're, we're getting somewhere. I don't really know how batting averages work. I don't either, but it sounds good. Okay. So, uh, yeah, next week we will talk about uh, three episodes, we've decided. Three episodes? Yeah, yeah. And there's a very specific reason for that. Uh, The episodes we're going to talk about next week are The Corbinite Maneuver. Okay. And The Menagerie, parts one and two. Oh, so that's a long episode. Well, the reason we're doing that is The Menagerie uh, is a two-part episode, but a bulk of the episode is footage from The Cage. Okay. Which we'll get into why that is the case next week. Uh, but since a lot of it is reused footage, uh, we can kind of fit a conversation about those two-part episodes into, I think, one episode, as long as we keep it to some kind of, you know, reasonable length. Okay. So then that's an episode that I can watch while cleaning or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, pay attention to it. There's some, there's some good stuff in there. I mean, I've watched The Cage, and I've paid attention to it, and I've discussed it on a podcast, actually. Yeah. I mean, the, the the menagerie has some stuff in it, but a lot of it is sort of like constructed like the sort of courtroom scene. So it's one of those things, and it's like presented as evidence or whatever. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it's fine. That's kind of why we're doing this, because otherwise, it, you know. But, so in other words, they're like, we are on trial. Now, please watch this video. Uh, yeah. Okay, I have to say, I saw a movie that was like that. Uh, it was like one of those like Christmas horror movies, and the second... We saw, we got the second. It was like Deadly Christmas or something like that. So we thought it was Deadly Christmas 1, but it was really Deadly Christmas 2. <clears throat> now, at the beginning of Deadly Christmas 2, they're like, well, here's the killer. Now we're going to go into psychology. How did you become a killer? And then the first 45 minutes to an hour of the, ep- of the movie are showing clips from the first movie about him killing. And then the next 15 minutes is another is a new set of killings, and then the movie ended. Saves money. I No, we actually had to pay $7 for that. No, it saves money for them, is what I'm saying, for the filmmakers. Oh. They don't have to film an entire new movie. Yeah. 
They but just, usually when they're making a new movie, they film a new movie. That's kind of how movies work. Why? They, why? They got mm. you to pay for it. They don't care. Well, it's, you know. There you go. They save money, and they got you to pay for it. But we actually wanted... So, basically... We, no, 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 no. They no. were really smart. No, 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 Because we wanted to watch the first movie, and we got the second by mistake. So, therefore, we didn't pay for the second movie. We paid for the first, and got, it's like when you order a burger, and they give you a chicken sandwich. Still got your money. What I'm saying is they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. But you care. So don't go see that movie. All right. All right. So uh, we'll see you next week.